This is Psychotherapy, and welcome to episode 35, the gripping conclusion of episode 34, where Jet Dunlap, me, is going to go up on stage and actually do some comedy for the first time ever. Did I mention this is Jet Dunlap and this is Psychotherapy? If not, I am and this is. I should clarify some technicalities here because I think it might be a little confusing in the future. I have done comedy. Tons of it. I mean, this is not my first time with comedy. Even if you listen to the last episode, you hear that when I was a kid, I took it seriously. But moreover, as an adult, that's what I did in college. When I left high school, I had already done comedy on stage. And that was a very specific experience that when I thought of it in retrospect may have been something that affected my desire to go into stand-up specifically. Not comedy in general, but stand-up. One of the only times I actually had to do stand-up was when I chose to be involved in something called the Night of Entertainment at Alamany High School. I believe this was 1998. And myself and my very good friend, Sean Rice, we decided to do this as co-hosts. We were going to be the host of the whole thing, but we were also going to have an opening monologue. Now, I took this seriously. I already told you. I knew who my heroes were in comedy. Steve Martin, all these things that played influences in my style of comedy and my decision to make it something I wanted to do. So the night of entertainment, I knew I was going to have to write jokes. Again, student of the art. So I wrote a bunch of jokes. I wrote a bunch of material. We were going to have a cold opening monologue. Now, Sean did not write anything. Sean should have written some stuff, but uh, he sure didn't. So what he did was, when he went over all the stuff with me, and I showed him all the stuff I had written, and he had nothing prepared, and he planned on winging it, what he did is he just started doing my routine. And there I was on stage, watching a snake person take all of my jokes in front of me, and I was crestfallen. I mean, think about it. You have all this stuff ready, you've memorized it, you're terrified on stage to begin with, and then this golden blonde devil, he had golden blonde hair at the time, is stealing all your jokes. Sean was afraid the other day that I still hadn't forgiven him. He has, it's funny, I had not remembered this until about five or six years ago. And he had reminded me that he stole the joke. So him owning up to it was fine. Plus, I didn't even hold a grudge then. It was funny after it was done because he hijacked jokes. That's kind of funny. But I think subconsciously it probably turned me off to stand up for a while because the whole process of writing something to be funny kind of seemed strange to me. I thought real funny was something that you could come up with on the spot. And I've known guys who've done stand-up and they keep doing the same routine over and over and over again. And I thought that would be boring for me to do. Outside of what happened to me in high school, it just seemed boring. I liked improv because every time I went to the show, I was seeing a show with me involved in it for the first time and that was exciting and interesting. So I did tons of improv. I did tons of different kind of comedic theater. I did tons of stuff on stage. I even danced at one point. I was terrible, but I did it. I did my hosted shows for 10 years, so it was not the first time someone put a camera or put me in this position where I had to come up with being funny instantly. But it was very specifically the first time in a comedy club with strangers at a place that is specifically for that, that's not a class or a stage or something like that. But more importantly, doing stand-up comedy, as you've heard and you'll hear in this episode, was the fact that when I started, I knew I wouldn't stop. That will be it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I'll be a writer, I'll do a lot of other things, but this is something that will be with me the rest of my life, unless something comes up that prevents that, but that's the plan at the moment. So other than hearing about what went into the actual day where I ended up getting up on stage, the other thing you're going to hear about in this is me looking into what I felt and seeing if it's relatable to others. And I find that it is in most cases that the thing that you've always wanted to do is so glaring and in your face, somehow you end up ignoring that the most 
which is kind of weird. And that was definitely stand-up comedy for me. I think if I was listening to this show right now, I'd be thinking, has Jet been breaking format? He had interviews with Michelle, and he's had Gene on for the last three with the uh, quiz portion of it about mental health and in specific depression. I think that one we've spoken enough about. I wanted you guys to see the actual questions that were going on and give you an idea of that process, how they go through it, and even further crunch down the difference between a person who is sad and a person who is diagnosed with depression by a professional. Because one of the things I've always wanted to address, whether it's just talking to someone or on the show, is that I think a lot of people self-diagnose and then they fit the personality that they believe aligns with that diagnosis. But that's dangerous because maybe you don't have a chemical imbalance, maybe you're just having a hard time and you just need talk therapy or you need something to get you as a bridge to the next point uh, where you're going to be fine again. So that was kind of the point of that. As a rule, don't try and pigeonhole yourself into something. It doesn't make it easier even if it has a title. That title has ramifications to your conscious and subconscious brain. But enough of that. In this episode, I have Gina on again. And as a rule, the show's mostly going to be me. I will have guests and Gina will end up taking on the role as an on-air producer, like Robin was for Howard Stern or, you know, a lot of other examples. But the reason she's on in this one and she's been so involved is because I was afraid in the retelling of the stand-up specifically, I would paint with a more colorful brush, meaning that I would let my creative mind give certain license to the event that would be more impressive than I be full of shit. So I didn't want to be full of shit. <laughs> okay. There's the truth. I wanted you guys to get it as authentic as possible. And I knew Gina would keep it in that realm. So that's why she's involved in this one. I like to give you an idea of where I'm coming from in these places. Not that you have the question in your head, but it, I think it just helps you know what this show is all about and what I'm all about. So without further ado, I give to you episode 35, the continuation of Jet and one of his biggest fears doing stand-up live. Telling you louder and funnier. Correct, Gina. That's exactly how the story was. It all started from there. Don't look at me like that. I am not the comedian. No, you certainly aren't. <laughs> Let's end there. Now Gina's doing an impression of a robot shutting down, which I've never seen. <laughs> She again took a caffeine pill before this show, like she did that one episode where she said nothing. Well, it was... Hold on, hold on. Calm down. Breathe in. I didn't say breathe out. <laughs> Simon didn't say. Go ahead. So prior to us actually going, we had discussed, I think probably the week before, you're like, well, you know, I am going to do it because I called you out. I called you out on your bullshit. Right. <laughs> And you so know, you say bullshit, but then I say how many people you know who do this. So I give myself a little, you know, I was, I had bullshit. I, I guess. Okay, go ahead. It was bullshit. So I called you out anyway. on what you were saying. Right. Um, And I want One episode, we'll talk about your bullshit. Okay. Oh, I sound? have, I have much more than you. Okay, go ahead. But uh, <laughs> I, I was calling you out because you're saying, oh, I'm going to do stand up. I'm going to do stand up. And I wanted to get you on a real timeline. We you're were like, almost going to do it last week. On Monday, remember? Right. Yeah. Right. I had written it in your calendar. I'm like, we're going. Yeah. And then we ended up working on the fence. It keeps going back to the fence. Oh my god. I had. To I was gonna say it's like fence gate, like Watergate, but fence and gate. And gate. Sometimes fences have a gate. Right. Well, I think they're synonyms or synonyms. Cinnamon. They're cinnamon. Yeah. No. Cinnamon. Well, they are. Con they are connected. Right. 
often. Literally. Um, so anyway, we ended up doing some work on the landscaping in front of the fence and that ate into our time. So we would have been late. So we end up going, okay, well, we'll do it another night. Prior, you had said that one of the things that you struggled with, you're like, I'm not scared of stand-up comedy. Right. I'm going to do it. That's not the issue. My problem is that I'm dyslexic. I don't know how to look up where to go. Yes. Um, and like how the whole thing works. And right. so if you do, and I'm like, okay, well, if I do that for you, if I pick a place, I figure out all Logistics. the, yeah, the, how to park and what, you know, the, <laughs> what time and the traffic. My life is often dictated by the available parking. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, if I find a place that will work, will you go? And you're like, yeah, absolutely, of course. And we decided on it and we ended up going. And the first time too, I sensed some nervousness, some apprehension, because this was something that you'd talked about for so long. And it was like, now finally it was here. Right. We're actually going to make this a reality. Yeah. I said, we're just going to go and we're going to watch. Well, we're that's what I was saying too. I'm like, I just want to see the process. We haven't mentioned that I never have been yeah, to a comedy club we in my entire we, life. Yeah. Neither of us had ever been to a comedy club. So it was a new experience. So it was a new experience. Yeah. But then all the pressure that you heard in the last episode of what this meant to me and my identity was also going with me. I knew I could do it, but... I just was, it was so unknown. And and you know me, there's very few things that I haven't tried that I want to. Yeah. I mean, if I want to do it, I do it. Well, That's and, me. And most things you've really thrown yourself into them with, uh, you used the example of DJing before. You didn't know, and you don't really like music that much. I don't like music, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a guy who listens to audiobooks most of the time. Yeah, Very constantly. rarely does he listen to music. So he was pursuing something that was completely not in his interest he threw himself into it learned it without any ego uh, here's the thing if there's anything they learn is that i'm willing to be bad at something yeah so even when i rock climbed i knew i was going to be worse than the other people i was going to rock climb with mm -hmm. but i said i'm okay i want to do it i don't care if i suck right. and i think that the difference there is that with all those things that you tried you acknowledged that you <clears throat> were a novice you were right, coming from yeah. a place of well, this is not something I identify as or uh, it's not something that has been a lifelong interest. Not attached to my personality yes. as I see it. And so with comedy, that is so interwoven into your personality that it's going to affect your confidence and your mm -hmm. your sense my of identity. self. Yeah, if it doesn't work out the way that well, you I'm want curious, it to right I'm curious away. about this too. And I think in a lot of people, the timeline just kind of eliminates it as a possibility if you want to be a professional dancer or something like that, if you're 50 years old, it's probably not going to happen. Good. But you know what I mean? I think most people who, whatever it is, I'm curious about how many people who have this same thing where they do a lot of things that meant nothing to them, you know, but when it came to the thing that they really, really cared about, that's what they put off forever. It feels like it'd be an innate human thing in everyone, you mm -hmm. know? And I think you shared a little bit too with acting yeah. that it's the thing that you'd be best at, you're most hesitant to do because if what you're, I think it's this, whatever they consider you to be your greatest talent, if that collapses, right. you have to be a strong mother well, effort to, to be able to, to get back from that. You feel that, the pressure of proving yourself. Right. Um, and so with all the other pursuits that you had, there there wasn't that pressure. And I don't mind looking like a goon because I'm a comedian. So even singing to you on our wedding day, I practiced like a mamma jamma, but I knew that I was going to suck. Uh -huh. And I'm like, ah, who cares? The gesture mattered. I realized that. I don't mind falling on my face and no one's going to be like, eh, well, looks like he's not going to be the next great crooner. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so this ne- was a lot of pressure. Didn't present yourself as that. So no, and it wasn't going to happen. I just don't have those talents. Right, and that's okay. Yeah, that's fine, <laughs> and that's okay. When uh, you told me that uh, you would go if I set it up, I said, "Okay, this is how I'm going to hold you accountable and kind of hold your feet to the fire a little bit." Right, um, and she literally did. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. So uh, when we went the first time, I I wanted to get the ball rolling, but I also wanted it not to be so stressful right so what we decided on is okay we'll go we'll watch we'll see how the the thing is run and then we'll go again the next week or whatever and then you'll go up on stage for the mm-hmm. just an open mic you know five minutes and uh and so we went which is great well we went to the gym yeah it was coming up at traffic time i usually don't do things when there's traffic and there's always traffic but what time was it? it was going to be like six o'clock, right? Yeah, it started okay. at six. So listen to this and tell me if this is familiar. We go through our chores, we're doing our stuff. And then I'm like, well, there's a lot of traffic. I don't know. And it's funny because something like this can turn into, well, 20 years ago, I almost did that thing. But there was traffic. Humans are weird units. We will let these tiny things cheat us out of giant opportunities or our life's destiny. It is so true in the human existence that... And it makes you believe in something bigger that I've said before that we are as humans, the incarnation of the experiential portion of our soul. That's what I believe. We are here to exercise things that can only be exercised in human form. And with that as an understanding, it is incredible what barriers stop us from what we were here to exercise as humans. Like the fact it's always the smallest things, but those small things will be things that you regret on your deathbed. I really wish I had taken that one damn thing. I mean, I thought about how in my 40th year of life, I've done all these amazing things and these amazing things have been like 20 minute decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's incredible. Well, when the, when the pressure's on, you kind of create those barriers. Like the, you know, we, we went to the gym and then we're like, oh, yeah, we have this thing tonight that we right. had planned in the morning. But yeah. somehow we let time elapse to the so point. So often you're like, oh, the day got away from me. Where it added pressure. And we're like, oh, well, now I don't know if, if we'll we'll make it. Maybe we'll have to do it another night. Uh, we got home at around five. With traffic, it was going to take us about 35 minutes to get there. This is so L.A. We're all sweaty and gross. We're doing the Californians. We're th- <laughs> took the one, we took the one eighteen, the one seventy. So, so we got home. We're like, okay. I looked at the clock and I looked at ways. We have about fifteen minutes basically to get changed and go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Waze said it was like thirty something minutes. So it was a matter of it was decision time. It right. was basically, oh, are we going to put this off longer or are we just kind of going to go for I it? I even said I got to do it tonight or I'm uh-huh. not going to do it. Yeah. So that's what we did. We showered real quick, changed, got on the road, and we got there right at six. Right. Found parking right up front. So there was at least something looking out for me there. An unpaid parking. Free parking. And uh, that- We go in. Yeah. It's a- The marquee is a big ha-ha. Yeah. The ha-has are smiley faces. Uh Uh-huh. So- and it's this was laughing haha's. This also felt like it was destined because whenever Jet talked about comedy clubs, oh yeah, he always on the re- last episode. He always referenced the ha ha hole, which was I looked it up because I was like, he always say that. What is the reference? Yeah, and it we found out it was for from swingers. Swingers, yeah. But anyway, so he's always said the ha ha hole, and this place is called the ha ha cafe, right? And the ha ha comedy, comedy club. club. Yeah. So I went, okay, this is perfect. So that's where we ended up going. 
And uh, we were just going to sit. We didn't know what we were doing. We walk into this place and I don't go to bars. I didn't go to bars when I drank. And, you know, I just, I never went to them. So I'm always kind of out of place when I go to a bar. Walk in, it's dark. I mean, it's like dark, low ceilings, not exactly a fancy place. There are like three people in there, right? Mm, it felt yeah. like I was walking more into an AA meeting than it was a place of entertainment. And you you come in right off the street and there's a little ticket office booth thing. But it's no one's there. But no one's there. So we walk through and then it's just this little divey bar. Definitely. And uh, so I look around and I'm like, where where do you stand to... Is this is it like a little karaoke, you know, that you do it yeah. in the corner or whatever? So I'm no like, one was in a hurry to help us either. No. So they're like, oh, are you here for the show at the, the bartender? And so we're like, oh, yeah. And we go over. They're like, OK, five dollars piece to watch. Right. To watch. <laughs> Ten dollars to touch it. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> that's what, what I was thinking. Yeah. OK. So uh, he said, yeah, go. That part wasn't true. There was no touching involved. <laughs> Thank goodness. Cause, yeah. uh, so then. He said, okay, Sorry, ha, ha, ha. Go, go ahead, sit anywhere except the couches. So we're looking around. And there's just, there's a few cocktail tables. There's no couches in this room. Yeah, we're like, what are you talking about? And it's one of those creepy bars that you can only see in dreams where you can't really see the back <laughs> of the room. So there's like some vague door that looks like it's going to the kitchen. Yeah, it was one of those. But it's not marked. It doesn't say anything. Yeah, it was a swinging door that looks like anyone that you'd see going into a kitchen. So And there's two people in there, maybe the bartender, but I even got the feeling the bartender was just some guy who hung out there and then just took our money. Mm -hmm. There was no tickets or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and they just said sit anywhere but the couches. Doesn't point anywhere. And we're looking around. We're like, do we sit at the bar? What do we do? It, It was just completely confusing. So finally, we go, should we go to that door? And what do we do? We just ended up walking. I just pushed through it or something? Yeah, yeah. You took the lead because I was just I was ready to sit down at one of the yeah, cocktail we, tables. Yeah, we could have just ended up sitting in an empty room doing nothing. And I've been like, this is comedy? I don't understand. Are we supposed to put in <laughs> headphones? different. Yeah. I didn't expect this. Yeah. So um, we walk through this door. Yeah, and we're like, oh, this makes sense. Because there's uh, a bunch of tables and then a long like banquette wrapped across the back and then a big faux brick wall so they're like well that's comedy i didn't even see the brick wall when i went in i just saw a collection of very dark figures yeah and they were all just kind of scattered in different parts of the room and it didn't really have a comedic vibe and there was no it, one laughing it felt very amateur drama club to me yeah yeah that you had to pay for to go into in <laughs> north hollywood yeah so not to take anything away from this bar i'm sure it crushes when they have real comedians there not that the guys that whatever you get it this is my story yeah. it is what it is but there ended up being a lot of people there right um, so for an open we mic. go in we sit down it's freezing and of mm-hmm. course i didn't bring a jacket because i'm a man and if you bring a jacket you'd have to question that manhood and like i said before my dad might see me and be like you god damn pansy what are you it, doing it wasn't that bad to begin with but yeah it got worse by, yeah like through the hour hour and a half that we were there oh my god it um, felt like forever toward the end of it i was shaking okay yeah and it wasn't just because of the lack of laughs so we sit down and the host comes up it's like walking into a, a boys club in the sense that every joke every nuance every it's an inside thing like clearly the guy who's the host knows all of the comics he's already going off on the guy who's supposed to control the sound no one's in on the joke except for the guys who are there so very inside stuff you don't feel like it's like yeah okay it's a and welcome. if you're there you're not it's it's not you're going to see a show if you're yeah. there it's because you're going to go on stage right there were, uh, or your friends the people going yeah, on stage so, like the drunk dudes yeah so there were there were a couple of people who were there to support someone else but it was pretty much everyone just there to kind wait their free, turn to, yeah. to go on stage 
I had decided at this point I wasn't going to go on. You know, I'm just going to watch yeah. these guys, see how it is. That was the plan. Yes. Because I, I sensed a little bit of nervousness, I said, okay, we're just going to watch. So we're going to figure out what the parking is, make sure we have enough time to get there. When did you sense this nervousness? Just as it got closer and when I finally, when I started, I went online and I, I was searching. These so before we actually were like going, that's all I'm curious about. Yeah. So we were searching, the, I was searching these different clubs and right. I said, oh, we can go here. This one's fairly close. A lot of them are in NoHo and Burbank. Yeah. Well, and you, Gina suffers from uh, analysis paralysis in the sense that she gives herself or myself so many options, options yeah. that it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I like to grab... I like to look at like three things and then just go, okay, this one. Because I, I stand by the more is lost to indecision than wrong decision. And I'm mm -hmm. happy to do something wrong and figure it out than just think about it forever because that can be perpetual. So right. you knew I was nervous. Yeah, I could so sense you were overwhelmed even just talking about it. Right. So I wasn't going to go up. So we we're just going to sit down and listen. And let's talk about how good the comedy was, Gina. Whew. Yeah. It, Have you uh, gone to an open mic? Uh. <laughs> this was in LA near Hollywood. So you would think that it was actually going to be like some quality people. Yeah. The great majority was guys in their 20s, 30s. Yeah, I'd say in their 20s. Yeah. Probably in their 20s. Mostly yeah. in their 20s, yeah. Some in their 30s. Um, one and, guy uh, who was like 75. Yeah. Who was, was, who was my favorite. I'll tell you a story um, about him in a second. And then later on, one girl came up and, and she was solid. She was pretty good. Yeah, she was fine. It, it was such a boys club and it was just the lowest common denominator as far as, as humor. Oh my like, God, Like the easiest, dude. not even not even jokes, not even being funny. It was just talking and then saying sometimes angrily just like yelling for yeah, no reason or just being overly profane for no reason one guy if you'll remember yelled at us saying what you don't remember bill cosby f you guys he existed it was a show what He's you're like, not gonna laugh you pretending you don't stop know bill pretending cosby? you never you didn't watch the cosby show i know everyone watched and it. then he got pissed off yelled ran off stage and i had to go to the bathroom for the 20th time as you like to tell people and I went into the bar area and he just started slamming drinks. Yeah. So there was a lot of like, I hate you guys. It's funny how many comedians, and I didn't really notice this because when I had done comedy before, I did it in college. I did like three semesters of improv and I did some improv out other places, but it was mostly drama nerds. It wasn't mm -hmm. angry, angry people. This literally, we talk about psychotherapy. This was people just airing the most awful things they think, not even caring it's funny. Uh -huh. Like the guy who just came over was like, why won't girls date me? I guess I'm a virgin again. Yeah. Like just furious at women for not being with him. Uh-huh. Just really venomous, yeah. like horrible there were, stuff. There were a lot of guys who, you know, they talked about how, so I'm single or like, oh, it's so hard to date. They're all miserable. So yeah. one dude was like, oh, I'm depressed. And then he just stopped talking. He just stopped talking. <laughs> like that was it. And a lot of them talked about trying to kill themselves or thinking yeah. about killing themselves. Yeah. And then there were the other side of it was talking about getting drunk and going to strip clubs. Oh, and my God. And how this guy paid a stripper to uh, uh, be. I'm sorry, but that's what happened. Yeah. And how proud he was, and he was for doing that. And it wasn't even a joke. It devolved in the very end of it. He just said, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was just I a heard, memory he was enjoying. I, I got to use this in a routine later, but I heard two guys talking about who had a hotter girl who was being paid to have sex with them? Uh -huh. This is the rumor. And status was who had a prettier prostitute. Uh -huh. That's incredible. Yeah. Not like who has a prettier girlfriend, which is even still sophomoric. Right. We're talking about they're trying to compare. Well, man, this hooker I got was yeah. so hot. And that and you what? just and you just said the perfect descriptor for what it was. It was sophomoric. 
the, oh, the yeah. majority Completely. of it. Yeah. So one guy was a correctional officer mm-hmm. who said he was talking to this guy who he actually got along with. And then he's like, so why are you in here? And the guy's like, I killed my wife and eight-year-old daughter. Yeah. I mean, this was their with a, jokes. With that was a, a true ball story. Peen hammer. Yeah, like, with ooh, a ball-peen hammer. That takes that was the air out jokes. of the room. The female comic who went up, uh, who was actually, she was was rehearsed and she yeah. was professional. So then the, the host came up afterward. Dark. It yeah. was this dark, though. Yeah. The host- I need to immerse you in this room. That's why I'm telling you all this. Not to frighten you, but this is what it was. So then the host came back up and he's like, oh, I don't know if you want to tell those jokes around these guys. Right. They're going to come yeah. up to you in the alley afterwards. She was talking about like rough sex or something. And she's like, well, I'm like, oh, just right, get it over with because I don't want to keep listening to you. Right. That was her joke. Yeah. Doesn't sound good when I'm saying it because I'm a man, but that's that's what was, that was the punchline to her joke. Yeah. The host was saying, these guys are all going to come up uh, after the show and start talking your ear off complimenting you and Hoping uh, that'll happen yeah exactly Ugh. do you see how uncomfortable this is you're uncomfortable listening to this in a podcast and and we were around for this this is the room that and and i was just i was just listening to this at this point i i had not decided to go up which is funny because gina said she knew at some point that i was going to go up i didn't even know she knew that like as i didn't even know i was going to go up but you're saying you yeah. knew i was going to go up at some point because we've been together for so long there have been a lot of public situations where I couldn't think of them specifically at the time, but afterwards I realized that when there were family events and you decided to make a speech or uh, at one of our friend's weddings when you stood up and made a speech that was fantastic and humorous and just really solid, but it was completely spur of the moment off the top of your head. After those events, you always sat down and whispered to me, I didn't know I was going to do that. I, I just decided so, for the moment to do that. It was probably halfway through it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is a room full of. <laughs> it's like, again, it was just people venting mixed with a couple of people who had some decent jokes. But then people who would just like confess to bad decisions in their lives or just kind of break down or go, I don't know what to say. It there was, was this one old very man. Interesting. Yeah, there was this one old man who was wearing a sailor's hat. Like he looked like some kind of homeless guy. And he brought up like like pictures he had taken and was talking about characters. Like he had visual aids. It was very, very unusual. But at some point I said, okay, I'm not going to be okay with myself. This is a big decision moment. And I I hope most of you guys, when you're in it, make the same one. I'm not going to be able to go home with myself if I don't go up. Because how am I going to sit around for the next three, four days and go, I could have gone up that day. And then there's more pressure. You know, it's like when I was jumping out of a plane, my point is you have to take that leap. And I knew I was going to. So I go over into to the guy who's um, the host. And I say, hey, I, is there time for me to put my name in? And he says, yeah. And then doesn't do anything. And I'm inside the club. I'm like, okay. And I go, so where do I do that? He goes, oh, go up to the front and sign in. So I go up to the front and I sign in on this notebook. There's no one in the bar except one lady who's handicapped. Handicapped? She didn't have a handicap. Disabled. Disabled. Specially abled. Extraordinarily abled. There's this extraordinarily abled woman, (laughs) maybe a superhero. She's sitting there. And I'm like, do you know where the bartender is? And she goes, no. Guy walks by. I go, are you the bartender? (laughs) Guy's like, no. Another guy walks by. I'm like, are you the bartender? No. And I'm standing there for maybe what feels like 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, is this another challenge? I'm in a bar by myself looking at this woman. She goes, what do you want from the other side of the counter? The handicapped woman, sorry, superhero, was about to go behind the counter and grab me a beer or something. Like she could just go back there. This is the kind of place this was. She must have been a loyal customer. 
She was the only one in the room. She's like, what can I get you? And I'm like, no, I, I want to do the comedy thing. She's like, oh, you have to wait for the bartender. I'm like, fine. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have a chance. I'm not going to get out there. The worst thing that can happen to me is decide I want to go up, try to go up, and then not go up because then I'm going to be sitting at home with the head weasels going, well, it's not destined. Should it not have happened? I like to create situations to be the way it was supposed to be, even if it wasn't. Like that was supposed to happen. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to go up, and I'm worried about that. Can't find the bartender. Finally, I get the guy, and he's like, oh, take this piece of paper, put it up there, and uh, take it over the host again. So I do. Then I sit down. And now I know I'm going to go up. So I'm like, I need to start writing down some jokes because I have none because I was just going there to listen. And these guys are not inspiring me to be funny. So I start writing stuff down feverishly into this kind of piece of paper that I had out of my pocket. Not helping. I look at my phone at my jokes. I can't read any of them. Like my brain has just gone ultra dyslexic and I can't read anything. The next guy to go up is this tank of a man who's in front of us who's drunk as a skunk with his drunken buddies. He is holding a beer in one hand and the mic in the other hand and somehow pulls out his cell phone. I'm even trying to figure out how he had the dexterity to do it. He has a cell phone between like his pinky and one of his fingers and he's holding the beer with the same hand and he's trying to tell jokes. Then he's doing some crowd work and he threatens to break a guy's nose. Remember that? Where yeah. he's like, oh, if you don't laugh, I'm going to break your nose. And I'm like, oh my God, like you couldn't write this to be a more intimidating atmosphere to go up. So I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna be on deck. When am I gonna go next? Tell them about the comic that was right before me. What was special about him? So he was also a guy who had never uh, done stand-up comedy. So he announced that first. Said he wasn't gonna be funny and he wasn't gonna do stand-up. He just wanted to tell you the truth. Right. So he goes up and just starts talking. Really, it's just it's just a rant. It's just talking about... Yeah, he's just another guy who's angry at not being able to get dates and yeah. at the world, which was funny. All these guys were talking about how much they hate homeless. And then, what would you say? Half of them they're, said they they're were homeless? They're either on the brink of homelessness or they're living in a van or they are homeless. Right. So it was they were talking about how much they hate homeless and they're homeless. So this guy's up there. I know I'm going to be next. So he just keeps talking. And you get five minutes. Right. And the host comes up to the side. And he starts flashing the light when it's time for you to go off. He's yeah. already flashed the light. So he's so he comes up closer to the stage because he's like, you're over time. Like, get off. And this guy's like, he's like, hold on. I still got he's more like, to I'm say. He's like, I'm not stopping. I got more to say. Yeah. And he just keeps talking. And finally. No, the host starts doing the cut yeah, symbol yeah, to yeah. his neck for the uh -huh. mic. And I don't, I don't think the sound engineer, using that word loosely, knew how to cut the mic. Mm -hmm. So the guy just keeps going on. He's like, you need to get off. And uh, and he's like, no, nah, man, I got some truth. Yeah. Uh, so he was just getting wrapped up in what he was saying. And he's like, I need to share this information. Some with of these things just felt like if you saw a homeless guy yelling at the ocean. Yeah. This was just like them yelling at the ocean through a microphone, which but is amazing. You had to pay to see it. You had to it. pay to see it. So the host had announced, OK, Jet, you're, you're on deck. On deck. Yeah. So that that preps the person that they're going to be after the next guy. Right. So Jed is like set to go. And this guy's just ranting on stage and won't get off the stage. You want to use one of those vaudeville, like what are those, Bo Peep? Yeah, those like shepherd a the cane. Cane yeah. to pull him off. Hook. That really happens. It was it was pretty funny. So then finally the guy gets a clue and is like, oh, 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 okay, my time's up. Oh, I'm sorry. The host was trying to get other people to get him off. Yeah. Like he's trying to get other comedians who are regulars to get this guy to get off stage. Uh-huh. And that, so finally he gets off the stage and it's Jet's turn. 
and it's also it is the coldest it's ever been at it's this like point. Sub 20. I was I was just shivering, and that makes it a little harder to loosen up oh, and yeah. laugh too. Yeah. So that's what that was the prep for Jet to go so, on stage. So I, okay, at this point too, I know that I know myself well enough, and this is a good thing to learn. But I know myself well enough where I have prepped some words, and I know I'm going to lose them. So whether I'm doing a speech or anything improv forever, I know that I'm going to forget about 50% of what I'm going to say. And that's that's something that's important to know. Because if you know your weaknesses and your strengths, you're going to be able to walk into a situation with some kind of, I don't know, it's almost like a non-preparation preparation. Basically, knowing that I'm going to lose the information and that happens all the time, I have a familiarity with it. So I'm not like sitting there going or standing up there going, Oh my God, what was I going to say? Which people do, literally. People yeah. would go like, I don't remember what I was going to say next or I don't know yeah, what my next line was going to be. That happened a few times where people just went, they stopped and then they said, I forgot what I was going to say. A lot of people did that. Right. Which is fine. But the reason I mentioned that is that I knew myself well enough to know that I'm not going to be able to memorize any of this. I brought up my little cheat sheet and I also brought up a glass of water because I'm like, I get parched. And you know I'm half fish because Gina tells you I go to the bathroom 10 times a night in the last episode. So I'm like, you know, just in case I uh, need a, Do I need to explain to you further why I need a glass of water? Because I'm human and we do that. I go up and for me, this part is a little interesting. I think I'll play a little audio for you now. Thanks for that introduction, Jet from the past. This is Jet from the future. We are going to play you a little bit of that audio, but it's not really perfect. I didn't even know Gina was going to do it. She recorded it on her phone. She's pretty far away and it just doesn't sound great. One of the funnier things was they played my intro music as Shania Twain feel like a woman. And that was because they were implying I look like a lady because I have a top knot and a mustache. And when I shaved my beard, I thought I looked like a lady too. So I was kind of flattered, but we're going to take you to that right now. And then afterwards, we'll go back to the show. Give it up for Jet Dunlap. very much. Thank you very much. Let's give it up for the host. This is actually my first time telling jokes on stage, like the gentleman before me. It's kind of cool that he left the stage, too, isn't it? Yeah, I wasn't sure for a second there, but he did. He's not here anymore. You can tell because I'm here. Um, so uh, it's also my first time ever going to a comedy club in my entire life, right? Okay, and we're back. So this was kind of a blur, and I went on instinct. This wasn't my first time with a microphone in my hand. I backed myself into a couple corners, but I knew how to get out of it. I did some of my routine that I've done before in life. And uh, people were asking me how it was going. And I've been stalling and telling them, hey, you have to listen to the episodes. And now you're hearing it for the first time. For me, it was more, it felt like such a relief to know that I was starting what I was going to do for the rest of my life. You know, be professionally funny. And be able to tell people that. Because I didn't even tell people I was an actor until I went SAG. I have a very high level of respect for those professions, even when I was young. And I didn't like the idea of people who just said, oh, I'm an actor. And you're like, what have you done? And you're like, uh, I was in my garage performance of me and my brother's recital. And you're like, no, that's not exactly acting. So I felt after this, I'm committing to be a comedian. And that was the whole point of doing it. So I'm like, if I bomb, if I suck, it doesn't matter. I know I got some laughs. I don't know what it was compared to the room. Doesn't matter to me. I'm like, this is the start of something. This meant something to me. Now, I know that went a little longer than we usually do. And I said longer a little weird. But there's a method to my madness. And it is that that story needed to tell itself in its entirety. 
I do appreciate you guys listening this far. The next episode will be kind of a continuation, but I don't know that I'm going to be calling it an episode three. It talks about how valuable this experience of conquering what ended up being my last real fear did to me the moment I got off and we were driving home and how important that is to all of us. So stay tuned for the next one. I really appreciate you listening. So here's to you, my friend. And don't forget to live life louder and funnier.